Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what we celebrate today. We celebrate your resurrection from death. And we know that this was an historical event. We know this is something that actually happened, but there's so much more tied to it than just the fact that it happened. You defeated death. You defeated all the powers of darkness. You defeated our sin. You defeated uh, anything that can hold us down, fear, anxiety, depression, sickness. You defeated all of it. When you took that first breath in the grave, you said, I won. And Lord, you find us where you find us. You pick us up. You give us faith in you, and you start growing us. You start transforming us. You start making us more uh, like Jesus. You You start changing the entire way we view this entire world. And at the end of all of it, we know we have an eternal home waiting for us. So the resurrection is the beginning of everything. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. There may be many of you here or watching online later who really like to read. Anybody here really like to read? Oh, we got quite a few. Okay, very good. My eight-year-old loves to read. She's already read Heidi, a few of the Little House on the Prairie books, and she's currently on Anne of Green Gables. Most importantly, uh, she's read in her Bible from Genesis all the way up through, I believe, Jeremiah the last time I checked. I'm done with my dad brag now, okay? <laughs> for, those, for those who enjoy reading and read books all the time, here are some memes you may be able to relate to. Here's the first one. When you get to an exciting part in your book, but people keep interrupting you. This is, this is how you feel right here. Me, why am I always so broke all the time? Everyone else, how many books do you have? Me, no, not that, something else. My brain, finish this book. Me, but it's 3 a.m. Brain, do it. Me, eh, pretty convincing. How many of you have that happen to you? 3 a.m. Lock me in a castle and call me Belle because all I want is a massive in-home library and dishes that wash themselves. (laughs) And lastly, I don't understand why people think that technology is making us antisocial. I will ignore you just as easily with a book as I will with my cell phone. So maybe a lot of you could relate to some of those memes. Books and the stories they contain can be so enthralling and we can be so wrapped up in them that we can sometimes lose all track of time. There is a story, the story of truth, that spans the entirety of human existence. That is not just a story we could get lost in. It's the story that we're all a very real part of. The story of who we are. A lot of novels have what's called a prologue. It sets up for what happens in the story that follows. One of my favorite novel trilogies, The Lord of the Rings, has a prologue, which sets up the origin of the Ring of Power and explains why the ensuing adventure and battles take place in the rest of the story. The Gospel of John 
also has a prologue. The first 18 verses of the first chapter, which sets up for the rest of the account that John then gives for the rest of his gospel. The point of John's prologue is to theologically explain who Jesus really is as God, which explains the ensuing account of Jesus' earthly ministry as both 100% God and 100% man. We'll only start with the first few verses of this prologue in the Gospel of John. So if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to the Gospel of John. It's in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Or you can look it up in the table of contents or ask a neighbor. There's no shame in that. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Or you can look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. John chapter 1, the first four verses, this is what we read. This is what we read during our scripture reading. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In this prologue, we find this out. John uses a term called the Word to describe Jesus. Now, why does, he do, why does he do this? This was already a term well understood by those, both those who would read John's Gospel and had a Jewish background and everyone else from every other background. This term described the wisdom and reason that created and held the universe together. John took this concept that everyone had some kind of knowledge of already and declared, let me tell you what that is, or rather, who that is. It's the same Jesus I'm going to spend the whole rest of my book on. What do we find out from this prologue? That Jesus had always existed with God the Father and was there at the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of the entire universe. The beginning of us. In fact, John says it was through the power of Jesus that everything that has ever existed and continues to exist all came to exist. I'm talking from the farthest reaches of the universe that scientists haven't even explored yet down to the smallest atoms, the biggest stars and galaxies down to the grains of sand on the seashore, the deepest parts of the ocean, the tallest mountains, the widest deserts, and the densest forests, all of the natural forces, gravity, light, energy, the ability for life to reproduce, Plants to produce fruits and vegetables and do so at the same time every year. The phases of the moon and how that impacts the earth. The human being. How all the different systems of the body work together to function, move, and be. The human brain and all its incredible facets. Our ability to think, learn, feel, and make decisions. Human emotion, happiness, love, anger, sadness, all the way down to that which cannot be seen, every single human soul. When I say that everything that has ever existed has Jesus at its origin, I mean everything. The Apostle Paul reiterates that everything about who we are as humans, how we think, how we feel, how we move, and how we exist All has everything to do with God and is directly connected to him. He said, for in him we live and move and exist. 
Everything about who we are is directly tied to God. That's the start of all of us and all of who we are. In fact, we were created to have an inextricable connection with God. He created us to have this unbreakable connection to his power and being. When God created the first two humans, Adam and Eve, and put them in the garden he created for them, he did so with the purpose of nurturing that supernatural and spiritual connection and relationship with them. He walked with them every evening in that garden when they were first created, spending time with them, revealing different truths about himself and their universe, and pouring out his love upon them. That's what the human life and existence was always supposed to be. Each day, a joy-filled experience with God. But is that the way that it looks like anymore around here? No, because something happened. Something happened that completely changed that experience for humanity and made life something we are still dealing with and reeling from the ramifications of. And that something was this. Humanity betrayed God. Humanity betrayed God. Both the man and the woman listened to and believed the message from a fallen angel in the form of a serpent. We made the conscious decision to give up everything we had with God in order to be like God ourselves. We thought he was holding out on us. That there was knowledge he was withholding from us. That we wanted to know ourselves. Because both the man and the woman ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As humans, we now had knowledge of all the existence of goodness and going as far down that road as possible. For it was only ever God at the end of it and evil. And going as far down that road as possible. Sin had infected humanity and there was no cure we could manufacture. And so suddenly there was a chasm that got ripped in between humanity and God. Since God is holy, he cannot be near sin. And what was humanity suddenly riddled with? Sin. There was now a chasm that was impossible for humanity to cross on their own to get to God. The man, as the representative between humanity and God, was held accountable. And so the curse and effects of sin were spread from him throughout the rest of humanity all the way up through now. We can see the effects and sickness of sin all throughout the rest of human history. Humans doing unspeakable acts of evil against one another. War, disease, famine, drought, pain, abuse, neglect, and what has awaited every human who has ever existed from the moment of conception until the de determined time Death. Death has existed in humanity for as long as sin has existed in humanity. Adam and Eve at some point died. Why? Why has death existed for as long as sin has existed? The Apostle Paul writes, For the wages or the payment of sin is death. There's no way around it. The payment for every human sin is that human's 
death. God determined this to be the fitting judgment in response. We might think this is unjust, but think about it. The fitting punishment for us wanting to betray and forsake God by taking our life into our own hands is for us to then lose it. This betrayal and forsaking of God, both as the origin of sin and the perpetuation of sin throughout the ages of human history, took the form of creating inferior and counterfeit religions. Egyptian, Mesopotamian, Hindu, Yellow River Valley, Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian, Greek, Roman, Buddhist, Islamic, New Age, Wiccan, Masonic, agnostic, and straight-up atheist. Paul notes this about human history as well. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. But if you boil down every single one of these faith systems and religions down, you would be left with only one thing, and that's this. Trying to be good as possible and trying to cure the curse of sin as humans ourselves. If you boil down all the other religions and faiths of this world, that is what you would come up with. See, we all know that there's a sin problem as humans, but many are trying to fix it for themselves by doing good deeds or trying to attract good energy and dispel bad energy or trying to follow different philosophies, saying enough prayers, trying to follow all the rules in a holy book, or just assuming they're a good person because they never killed anyone. Even though humanity had given up on God, God never gave up on humanity. Even all the way back to the very first two humans, God revealed that he would send a deliverer to save humanity from their sin and the perpetuator of evil, Satan. When Adam and Eve had to go out into a broken world cursed by their own sin, God gave them a message of hope. In the midst of all of that, this would not always be the way that humanity would have to be. And that he would save them through sending a deliverer. That was the very first prophecy about this deliverer. While humanity would spend the next hundreds and thousands of years chasing after their own created beliefs, desires, and purposes, and all the while dying as a result of the curse of sin, God called one man out of a thoroughly pagan world who was thoroughly pagan himself to put his faith in the one true God. Through this man named Abraham, God would develop a people chosen for himself, a people that he would continue to reveal prophecies about this coming deliverer for the next 2,000 years. And even though this people group would betray God over and over again these 2,000 years, God never gave up on them. And he still didn't give up on the rest of the world. For his intention was for the rest of the world's people to see the truth that he would reveal to his people about this deliverer and want to be a part of that too. 
In fact, this deliverer would be the hope of deliverance from the curse of sin for not only Israel, but for the entire world and therefore the entire human race. It was prophesied, God says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. This is a prophecy to the deliverer. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, everyone else who's not Jewish, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Over the course of this 2,000 years of that people and, and nation of Israel, God revealed that this deliverer would come from the tribe of Judah in the people of Israel, that this deliverer would be God's chosen one or the Messiah, that this deliverer would also be God himself, that this deliverer would reveal things about God that had never been revealed before, that this deliverer would be a king who would rule over an eternal kingdom, that this king's kingdom would also exist on earth over the entire world, ushering in a, in a time of peace and abundance unlike anything this world had ever seen, that this king would die a physical death by crucifixion, but he would not see physical decay and therefore be resurrected. This was all prophesied hundreds of years before. And by far, most importantly, that this messianic king would die for humanity in order to save them from the curse of their sin. All of this was prophesied hundreds of years before. Now, how would that work? Remember, death was the fitting payment for our sin. When God created his chosen people, he did so with a system of worship of him, the major aspect of which was death by animal sacrifice. The high priest of Israel was to lay his hands on a specific animal, symbolically transferring the nation's sin into that animal and then sacrificing it. That animal sacrifice was known as the atonement sacrifice in order to pay for Israel's sin. But that sacrifice was only always supposed to be a placeholder. Taken with all the other prophecies, it was only supposed to cover Israel's sin, but did not have the power to eradicate it, did not have the power to remove it. It did not have the power to cure the curse of sin, only cover it like a band-aid, since it had to be done each and every year. You can't cure cancer with a band-aid, can you? No. The author of Hebrews put it this way. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So if that was the case, what was anyone's hope of being saved from the curse of sin and having that chasm caused by sin bridged? The only hope was faith that God would save them for their faith in him and the faith in that coming deliverer. That deliverer, as one prophet revealed, because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. 
And how will that prophesy deliverer actually accomplish this feat? That of bearing the sins of humanity so that many could be counted as righteous in God's eyes. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. That's how he was going to do it. This deliverer would pay for the sins of humanity through his human death in order to save and make many righteous in God's eyes. But wait a second. If this deliverer was a human, dying a human death to pay for humanity's death, how would he actually accomplish it if he was just like every other human being cursed with sin? If he was just like another human, cursed with sin, there would be nothing different about him. He would just be paying the same payment of death that every human still pays, since it's simply what he would owe for the curse of sin. But there was another prophecy given about this prophetic king who would die for humanity, and this changes everything. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This deliverer would also be God. And as God, this deliverer would be sinless and therefore be able to pay for humanity's sin on behalf of humanity as the perfect substitute. Remember how it was the first man who was held accountable for humanity's sin? Sin then spread for all of humankind through each child's father. Enter why the prophet Isaiah revealed this crucial truth about the deliverer as well. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The deliverer would receive his 100% humanity from his human mother, since his mother would be a virgin. Even through his birth, he would have no human father and therefore no past on sin. As such, this deliverer could be the perfect sacrifice to pay for humanity's sin, even as humanity as a whole had continued to betray and forsake God. Even God's own people, by and large, chose to go after the ways of the rest of the world around them. And when they weren't outright worshiping other man-made deities, they followed after the rest of the world's thinking that if they could follow the laws God gave to them as best as possible, they could be good enough to be restored to him by their own perceived goodness. But again, the prophecies for thousands of years had been that humanity could do nothing on their own to pay for their own sin. Humanity needed a deliverer from it, paying for it on their behalf by his own sinless death. This leads us in the story of humanity to about 2,000 years ago from now. It was finally time for this deliverer to be born and be revealed to humanity as their deliverer. While he was still growing in his human mother's womb, it was revealed to his adoptive earthly father that he should be named Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. 
But again, as, as Isaiah prophesied, this baby would be born to be named Jesus to save his people from their sins and the sins of the rest of humanity and the rest of the world. Jesus would fulfill every prophecy related to his sacrifice, resurrection, and salvation from the curse of sin on humanity during the course of his three-year earthly ministry. He revealed the truth of God's kingdom, that one can only enter it by way of salvation from sin, and that that salvation can only be found in him. And then he paid for all the thousands of years of sin before his death, and all the thousands of years of sin after his death, once and for all, and declare the sin debt paid, the power of sin over, and the kingdom of darkness vanquished when he hung on the cross and declared the words, it is finished. Three days later, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies given hundreds of years earlier by defeating death and coming back to life. He proved himself physically resurrected to hundreds of people and then ascended back to heaven where he resides to this day interceding for, for us before God the Father. As we've seen in the story of humanity so far, for thousands of years, everything hinged on and led up to the arrival of the prophesied deliverer, including the faith of those who were counted as righteous and entered heaven before that deliverer's arrival. And for the thousands of years since, everything has hinged on the arrival of the prophesied deliverer, including the death and resurrection of that deliverer, including the faith of all those who have been born and lived after him. Jesus' death and resurrection is the redemption of humanity, and specifically our human lives in every way. It's the deliverance from our curse of sin, making us seen as righteous in God's eyes. It's the redemption of every area of our lives, including our pasts. It's the redemption and healing of everything we were supposed to be, physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, and spiritually. And it's the hope that we know exactly who, who we will end up with and exactly where we will go when we die. And we can have 100% assurance of that. We've all been infected with the curse of sin. And as we have already discussed, the payment of sin is death. But the Bible explains that it's not only physical death that we deserve to pay for our sin. It's also a spiritual death, or what's called the second death, a banishment to an eternal place of physical and emotional torture called hell. Every one of our souls in future resurrected bodies, as well as the souls in future resurrected bodies of everyone who has ever existed, will exist for eternity. The difference is where that soul and future resurrected body will exist for eternity. Because of the curse of our sin as humans, which we all confirm on a daily basis with the thoughts we think and the words we say and the actions we make, we all deserve the second death. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's not think we're good enough to escape it on our own. We all deserve it. And our only hope is to be saved by the prophesied deliverer from that sin and from that curse. The only way we can do that is not base our righteousness on ourselves or how good we think we are. 
are. The only way we can do that is to come to God in prayer, recognize the hopelessness of our sinful state before him, accept that Jesus, as the deliverer of your sin, paid your sin death debt on your behalf as your substitute, ask God for forgiveness of your sin based only on Jesus, and take Jesus for all he was prophesied to be, God and King over the rest of your life. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, immediately then comes and makes a home within you to redeem every aspect of who you are, your story, and your place in the entire story of humanity. He changes the whole th- way, the whole, the, the whole way you process through what happens in this sin-cursed world. He frees you from addictions and the power of sin. He makes you into the person God wants you to be, specifically like Jesus, and reminds you that you are now a true child of Almighty God. He will provide for your needs, watch over you, and protect your soul for his redemption so that you no longer have fear, anxiety, or hopelessness. This Holy Spirit's redemption of everything about your life story because of your faith in Jesus is the current part of the story of humankind. But this is not the end of the story. The end of the story could begin at any moment, though. Our king is coming back for his children. Our king is coming back for his children to take those of us who have put our faith in his death and resurrection for our deliverance, for our sin. And since nothing else needs to happen, prophecy-wise, before that happens, that could happen at any moment. Those who never put their faith in Jesus and repented of their sin will have to endure God pouring out his wrath on the earth to pay it back in true justice for all its thousands of years of sin and evil. And just when all hope seems lost and it looks like Satan has won this earth, Jesus will come bursting forth out of heaven, this time riding victoriously on a brilliantly white stallion defeating the armies of the world and setting up his kingdom of abundant peace and prosperity for a thousand years. Following that time of unprecedented peace, there will be the final judgment of all those who never surrendered their lives to Jesus, casting them into the lake of fire and welcoming those who did surrender their lives to Jesus into the newly created and perfect new heavens and new earth for all of eternity. And all of this has already been prophesied about for hundreds of years. I hope we've all seen that what happened on what we celebrate as Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday 2,000 years ago when Jesus burst out of the grave is the turning point in all of the world's story and the story of humanity. Jesus is not some kind of deity that we tack on to everything else we've got going on in our lives. He's not some a king or a religious figure that we can take things from, along with all the other religious teachers in human's history. He's not an afterthought or someone we come to only when we're in trouble or when we want something. Jesus is the entire history, the entire story of humanity. And Jesus is our entire life story, 
Our life only really begins when we surrender our lives to Jesus and the Holy Spirit starts transforming and redeeming everything about our life story. Like we began our time with, it was only through Jesus that the human being, the human soul, and everything about who we are came into existence in the first place. It is only through Jesus that we can be delivered from the curse of sin. Everything about our here and now life's transformation is only through the redemption of the Holy Spirit given by Jesus. And everything about our future fate has everything to do with Jesus. In short, everything about who we are in humanity and who we are specifically as humans begins and doesn't end but continues for eternity with Jesus. The only thing that matters in the light of eternity is if we recognize and accept Jesus as our life story or not. If you have never come to God, you've never repented of your sin, you've never taken Jesus' death, resurrection, and kingship as your only hope for salvation for your sin and hope of entering heaven, do so right now. If you have, let us see how Jesus is to be our everything, everything we hope on, everything we trust in, everything we find our life's meaning and purpose in, everything we find our peace in, and everything we have to look forward to in our future. The story of humanity and the entire world and any kind of hope for either is really very simple and it can be summed up in one word. Jesus. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for these first few verses of the Gospel of John that remind us that the origin of the, of the entire story of humanity, the entire story of the world, begins with Jesus. Our only hope for us as humans and our human souls is to take Jesus' death and resurrection and kingship for our own. And our only hope for the future is knowing that Jesus is coming back for us. So Lord, on this Easter Sunday, if we've never taken that step, if we've never made that choice, and we've never come to you in prayer and repented of our sin based on the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf and taking you as king over the rest of our lives, let us do so right now. We have no clue how, many, how much time any of us has left. Let us, do, let us get that right with you right now. And Lord, if we have, maybe we walked away from it for a little while, let us come back to you right now. Let this be the day of our salvation and return. And we, may we all look with great anticipation for your return. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, our victor and our king. Amen. Please stand with me.